0: Welcome to the Legally Sound Smart Business Show, your weekly look at legal news and questions in the business world. Here are your hosts, Nasser Pasha and Matt Staub.
1: All right, welcome to our podcast where we cover business in the news and add our legal twist. My name is Nasser Pasha and welcoming my co-host who happens to be an expert on time travel <laughs> of what's going to happen in the
2: future. Yeah, Matt Staub, I guess it kind of makes sense. <laughs> kind of? Well, I'm looking forward to this episode because you were just going to tell me all the new laws for 2016 and I was going to comment on them, I believe was the plan.
1: <laughs> Let me just open this big book of new law. I mean, we're we're focusing on some of the labor laws for California only. Granted, California is crazy, but if you have employees in multiple states, but just if you have one employee in California, man, there's a lot of new issues you have to deal with.
2: Actually, I guess that's a question a lot of clients ask is, are there any new labor laws that I need to be aware of for the new year? It's just a common time that new things get implemented. Yeah. Obviously, there's a whole slew of laws that get passed and are new every year, but the labor laws in particular are the ones that we usually talk about. And we're going to talk about a little bit of that. And then there's some other laws. I guess it relates to labor too, Yeah. which actually is way more interesting than some of these California ones and compared to previous you know at least the last couple of years because I think we've done this for the couple of years we've done the podcast I think this will be the third end of the year we've been doing this and I think this is the third end of the year we've done new laws for the next year yeah I'd say this is at least from California side on the labor law this is definitely the tamest of that's true. But there's a lot of little things. And if someone asks what laws
1: they need to know, there's not a lot of laws that are passing that are really crucial to an employer. But there is a lot of little things that have been passed that kind of adds a headache for us, I suppose.
2: Yeah. This isn't like last year, or I guess the beginning of 2015, when the paid sick leave was obviously really big in California. That was, you know. And I think minimum wage was was around that time, too. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so there's a couple big things. I mean, to me, from the the employer side, the biggest law to me is I, one we've already I think discussed uh, previously this year. At least we touched on it, from what I remember. I don't know if there's a bill, Bill 358. I don't think that's very helpful. Whatever this is called, but that's how I <laughs> reference it. <laughs> there's a lot to it. One of the things is this equality in pay, regardless of gender and we touched on this before and you know thinking about it a little bit since then the way it's kind of laid out is employers can i think are still gonna be able to get by on this at least when i say this i mean paying men and women different amounts despite the fact that they can't i mean just reading through at least initially just reading through some of these criteria it's so the idea is men and women if they're performing substantially similar work, have to get paid the same. You, know, you can't have a, a difference in pay. But employers can base things on seniority. Okay, that, that's fine. Merit system, that's kind of vague. A system that measures earning by quantity or quality of production. Quantity's much more concrete than than quality of production. That's pretty subjective. And then a bona fide factor other than sex, such as education, training, experience. My point is, there's a lot there for, not. A, it's not a loophole, I would say, but There's a lot of wiggle room for employers that's, I think it'll help a little bit, but I still can see employers getting fine ways around this.
1: Oh, and absolutely. And and frankly, though, I don't think the law is going to fix that problem right? I mean, it's very difficult from a legislation perspective to actually fix a problem that is just kind of inherently within the culture of the workforce in the last, you know, number of decades. So I think it's hard to just say, okay, we're going to open you up to liability if you're treating them differently. That's a little bit easier, but forcing them to pay equally, I think, Again, you just can't legislate that it's going to happen over time and little things like these help, but probably real change is going to come from a cultural shift. But I think California, this is the first fair pay kind of act on a statewide level that we've seen in the country. At least to this extent but at the same time keep in mind that it's no different than any other gender discrimination but it just kind of tweaks the language a little bit that makes it a little bit more easier for frankly plaintiff attorneys to meet their burden of proof
2: yeah (laughs) i guess that's a way to summarize it from the beginning is what you just said there
1: but... (laughs) but honestly that's that's how i look at it right i mean as we know that a lot of this law is written by attorneys and at the end that's going to be the most immediate effect is literal private enforcement of gender discrimination. And I, I think that's exactly what this law is designed to do. Critics will say that it's just another way to make it more difficult for employers and that this is not the right way to make change. And And I'm sure others are saying this is just another reason why California is very pro-litigant and encourages litigation. And in, in a lot of ways, I think that's all true. The question is, is that a Good thing or a bad thing. I think proponents would say, well, we want private enforcement in order to keep employers in check, so to speak. Mm-hmm. So that's one law, one law down, check mark.
2: <laughs> Part of it too is this expansion of what employers can prohibit or restrict employees from disclosing. So I think previously employers cannot prohibit employers from discussing or disclosing their wages or refusing to agree to disclose their wages. Now, in addition to that, employers cannot require That an employee refrain from disclosing information about the employer's working conditions or require an employee to sign an agreement that restricts an employee from discussing their working conditions. I don't know. This is is a little bit kind of weird to me. I think it hits on the disclosing the wages thing, too, or, you know, aiding or encouraging others to disclose wages. Yeah. All this does is open things up on the employee side it's it's saying employers you can't prevent employees from talking to (laughs) employees you know that's really what it is and it's not a huge deal but a small win for employees i guess it's true basically that's what it's saying and in a way
1: if you're an employer that kind of has that attitude where you kind of have this strict stranglehold over your employees and they can't talk to each other about certain things it's hard for an employer to really defend that kind of culture it's understandable but in the long run, I don't think that's good for anyone, even from a business perspective, really. No. You know, also professionalism still counts, right? I mean, it's it's not professional to talk about your salary with your co-workers and things like that. And creating that kind of culture is uh, perfectly fine. I don't think that's prohibited by this statute.
2: Yeah. I mean, it's, there's some TV show or movie I saw where that caused problems, but I can't think of what it was. So.
1: <laughs> it's probably one of those reoccurring plot themes that pretty much every show has, but You know, one of the other laws that I like that came out, I think it's one of the very few that were more on the employer's end was this new statute that basically said that if your itemized wage statements are incorrect, typically that may be a penalty by the employer. And that can happen in many ways. And that's why basically no California employer or non-California employer for that matter should really be doing their own pay stubs or their own payroll. I mean, they really should have a payroll company be doing that. But if there's some inaccuracies to it, This law now provides a requirement for the employee to give notice to the employer so that they have an opportunity to actually correct those statements instead of kind of this gotcha kind of thing. And this is often I've seen it a lot of times kind of thrown in amongst a bunch of other lawsuits, which basically adds to penalties. So one bad act will all of a sudden cause all these other issues because obviously if you're not paying overtime correctly or whatever, the itemized wage statement will be incorrect as well.
2: I was wondering where you were going with choosing that law because it seemed pretty, pretty boring and I <laughs> skipped over it. <laughs> it's the most boring and benign thing, but it's the only one
1: that's actually going on the employer side that I, I can think of. I mean, there's probably a couple others, but that's the one that stuck out to me.
2: Yeah. Well, we talked some California. To me, not that exciting. I think some of these bigger multi state issues are way more intriguing and way more important. You know, I don't want to spend too much time piece by piece. I'll just. I'll lay a couple out, and you tell me which one you want to talk about. Let's see. There's some scrutiny with choice of forum clauses and all these different states. Meaning, let's say you enter into a contract, and you say if there's a lawsuit or a dispute, arbitration, etc., it needs to be done in a different state. You know, something that's you're trying to kind of gain the system against public policy. That's becoming a bigger issue. This is one you'll like. (laughs) What non compete agreements, and I don't even think too much about these in California just because it's had the same conversation a million times, but there's some increased scrutiny with non compete agreements with current employees in the sense that more states are requiring Illinois, for example, had this big case about adequate consideration in order for the employees to agree to these non compete agreements, meaning even this is even for new hires, I believe that you basically can't have somebody come in, a new hire, and make them sign a non-compete without giving them some kind of consideration in return. Now, <laughs> this is very new, so we don't know what that consideration is. I think one example has employer's forbearance and exercising its right to terminate the at-will employee. You know, So I guess that's just delaying the at-will. I, I mean, there was another one too. I think there was some exception for if they work worked under two years, it'd be an issue as well. But this is shifting toward, more towards California for some of these, because California, if you don't know, if you've never listened to this podcast, very difficult to enforce non-competes.
1: Nearly impossible, really.
2: Yeah, and it's an interesting shift and in, for employers trying to in- enforce these, at least in some of these states.
1: No, absolutely. You know, I can speak about Texas a little bit. A lot of these states that do have non-competes over the last 20 or so years, non-competes have basically, a lot of the law surrounding it has been about, okay, how expansive can it be? What are the limits, right? And so obviously every state, including especially California, has this public policy that people have a right to work, but also companies and businesses have a right to protect their trade secrets, their intellectual property, etc. And if their employee can just jump ship to the competitor, it's nearly impossible to have that protection. So most states who tolerate or who allow non-competes have basically said, okay, so long as you are restrictive in scope of the non-compete, including time, geography, and even the scope of as far as what you can work in, then it'll be okay. But what you're talking about, this extra consideration, and that actually exists in some ways in in Texas already with, for example, with physicians. So. And physicians, not only is there a separate consideration, which can also sometimes can be combined with, you know, the hiring process and doesn't have to be, it's not a big burden. But for example, in Texas for physicians, you actually have to have a buyout clause where you can get out of the non-compete. And so long as it's reasonable and a lot of times it's a year salary and that's been found to be a reasonable thing. So for a doctor one or $200,000 at least, can basically buy them out of their non-compete. And sometimes that's worthwhile because maybe the competitor may be willing to pay that amount as a signing signing bonus, so to speak. So different states have handled it differently. But independent consideration for allowing a non-compete is definitely not unusual, but it's expected to see those kinds of more restrictions coming with states that are still dealing with all these non-compete issues that really haven't refined their law yet.
2: Yeah, and I do want to clarify that two-year statement I made or expand on it, I guess, not clarify it. There's a split in districts in Illinois, but the first district appellate court held that consideration in exchange for non-compete or the employment of an existing employee must continue for at least two years, even if the employee leaves voluntarily. So, you know, day 364 of year two, the employee could leave and that would... <laughs> I mean, it's it's just kind of crazy. That's why there's it's a split. There's another district that has kind of gone against that, but it's just the idea that that's that two year numbers thrown out there is you know that's a long time for an employee.
1: Yeah, absolutely. But I I like Texas's approach and many other states' approach of just making it nice and simple. It has to be a reasonable accommodation. Lawyers don't like it because there's ambiguity. Because of course, when we're writing contracts or working with the clients, they're like, okay, well. Can we make it one year, two years, three years, four years? Is that fine? Or five years? And then the only judge we have is like by looking at cases that that's, and there's only a few that'll say like, this was held reasonable, but this was not held reasonable. Yeah. And there's no bright line rule for that. But but at the same time, what's I think what's going on in Texas and other states is that the market is driving some of these non-competes. Now for lower level employees, non-competes are going to be hard to enforce. But if you have a more upper level employee where, They have access to trade secrets. Maybe they're a salesperson or they are an executive. These kinds of positions where the employer has a very strong interest in protecting their rights, courts are going to be more likely to enforce non-competes. But in the same way, those types of people have more bargaining power. So in a way, the market kind of takes care of itself in the sense that when you enter into an employment contract in Texas, you know that part of negotiating points is, okay, if there's a non-compete, how long, in, in what mile radius or, you know, in, under what circumstances am I restricted?
2: Very well said.
1: Well, thank you very much. That's what <laughs> I do. I mean, what other laws are that You mentioned the, uh, the forum clauses, right? The enforceability of choice of law and choice of forum clauses, which, I mean, that is pretty tough working with that in a non-compete and confidentiality agreement, especially if you're working in multiple jurisdictions and From a general sense, where the trend of the law is there is that the default is where the employee is at. And so even if you have a confidentiality agreement for a particular employee, and we've had instances where an employee would move from state to state, oftentimes it's the state that the person's living in. And sometimes it can be a race to the courthouse. But uh, you always want to take the most conservative approach and assume the law that is most restrictive is going to be enforced.
2: We just got our uh, movie idea. Okay. 90 minutes at most be a short movie between 70 and 90, or 80 and 90. Some sort of dispute happens, and we have two sides that are literally racing to the courthouse, (laughs) Too Fast, Too Furious style. Lots of things ensue, and there's a lot of action that happens between... It all takes place in one day or a short period of time. (laughs) Movie idea. Which will lead into our last episode of the year, which also have to deal with a movie idea I came up with that somebody stole from me that just just got released.
1: I guess <laughs> there are a lot of movies like that, that it's just the whole movie is a race, long race, right?
2: What's the one? Is uh, it Bruce Willis, maybe? It might actually be called like 90 Minutes or 60 Minutes or something like that.
1: Bruce Willis?
2: Is it Bruce Willis?
1: What is it called, 60 Minutes? I think that's a new show. <laughs> <laughs> it's not Star Wars, right? Because I, I am excited about our Star Wars episode coming up in a couple of days. Definitely check it out.
2: Yeah, that's what I said. That's a movie somebody stole from me, my idea.
1: (laughs) I've been preparing basically all week by watching Star Wars over and over again, so I'm ready to talk about it.
2: Yeah, I've done the opposite, so.
1: (laughs) I haven't seen the new one yet, but uh, we'll we'll talk about it
2: later. What I'll guarantee is I'll put the movie in the show notes and someone can click on the link because I can't figure out what it is. (laughs) Oh, wait, hold on. This might be it. Are you watching
1: every movie like since movies started in order to determine which movie it is?
2: It's Bruce Willis has to get this person from one part of the city to the other within a certain period of oh, time.
1: You must be thinking about Die Hard with a Vengeance. It's not Die Hard. No, with a Vengeance. is It's the one where he's in a taxi. He has to get to place to place. He's with Samuel Jackson. 16 blocks. Oh, okay. Was that with Bruce Willis? Uh,
2: <laughs> yes, it is. Okay. Okay.
1: He is in there. Okay.
2: It's Bruce Willis and, and the rappers Most Deaf. See, I wasn't crazy. That's my idea, basically, but a better version. <laughs> okay. The question is should we just cut everything out and just <laughs> use saying 16 blocks
1: with Most Deaf and Bruce Willis? Might not be the worst idea ever. All right. Well, let's end this show and come back and join us for our Wednesday Star Wars episode.
2: All right. Last one of the year. Keep it sound, keep it smart.
0: This has been the Legally Sound Smart Business Show with your hosts, Nasser Pasha and Matt Staub. You should not act or rely on any information in the podcast without first seeking the advice of an attorney. The opinions expressed in the podcast reflect the views of those individuals and do not necessarily represent the views of any other individual or business. For more information about the Legally Sound Smart Business Show, visit LegallySoundSmartBusiness.com.